How y'all doing tonight? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Dude, I am super pumped about tonight, and I'm pumped about where we're going tonight, but before we get started, can I tell you guys a quick little story? So, uh, so yesterday, I'm driving home, and, I, and I'm pulling into to, through the, uh, um, before I get into that, dude, was worship not freaking awesome tonight? Oh my goodness. Anyways. So I'm driving home and I'm, and I'm pulling into my neighborhood and, um, and I see like, like about 12 dudes playing football, like right like in our neighborhood, they're playing football and they're, they're obviously like high school students or whatever. And I see them playing, they're like playing this game of football and I see them playing. I'm like, dude, I want to play. But like I'm wearing jeans, I got boots on, you know, whatever, but I'm like, I'm going to play. So, so I pull my car around, I'm thinking I'm going to walk over there and I'm like, dude, like, like we're good, man, we're good. And I walk over there like, you want to play? I was like, heck yeah, I want to play, man. And so, so I line up on the line, you know, and, and they put me on the team and they're, they're like in the middle of a game. So I get on the team, they put, and I, so I start on this team that's on defense and I'm standing there and so I'm like, um, I'm like, are we, are we playing, are we, are we, we're playing two-hand tag, right? And they're like, oh no, we're playing Tackle. Tackle. Like, I'm old, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and like, uh, you know, some of these guys play football at Mill Creek because that's the neighborhood, the area that goes in. And so, so we're there, like, I'm like, tackle. I mean, there's some big, big old boys in there. And, and they're like, and, and I was like, and, I, and they were like, yeah. And I said, okay. And uh, so, so, um, so I'm, I'm guarding this guy or whatever. And, and so, so they, they hike the ball, and the guy dumps the ball off to him. And so, dude, I just, I just smashed him. I just laid him out. I just went up and I just went, boom, and just dropped him on the ground like that. And then they were all, and he was like, oh, you know, and they were all like, dang. And I was like, and I was like, I was like, well, y'all said it was tackle, right? And they're like, like, yeah, but you know, like, we ain't trying to kill each other. I'm like, dude, you got to explain things out to me, you know? So, so then, so then I was like, it's tackle, like in two hand tag, it's like, you're kind of juking or whatever. There's no physicalness to it, but I don't really get this because I don't really know how you can play tackle easily. So, so, so anyways, um, uh, so, so they ended up scoring. So then they, they, they throw the ball off. Well, they throw the ball off, and they throw it straight to me. So I catch the ball, and I take off running down the field. So these guys are running at me, and so I, so, so I didn't know what to do. So I just, like the guy's running at me, and right when he gets to me, I just go, boom, and I just stiff arm him, and he just goes, and he just falls on the ground. The dude's like this tall, man. He's like, he's got to be like in ninth grade, you know, and he's like, he's running in like he's going to tackle me, and I'm just running. I'm like, skeek, and just, just and he'll, you know what I mean? And I was like. And then, I, and then I ran for, I ran and I scored a touchdown and I was like, back to the glory days. I still got it. I still got it. I just want to share that with you because that is the coolest thing that's happened in my life in the last year or whatever. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm playing with some high school guys and I'm old and, and I still got game. That's all I'm saying. And so, man, when you guys are ready right here, y'all put it together. I'll take y'all out right now. You know what I'm saying? All right, so... Uh, so last week, last weekend as we've been going through this series, we've been walking through this series, the Bible series. Now listen, it's important for you to understand that this Bible series is more informational than it is inspirational. It is more classroom than it is conference. So I know for some of you are like, man, I don't really feel like the classroom mode or whatever because, you know, I just got out of school. I don't want to be in school. But here's the concept. The idea is this, is that we live in the most biblically illiterate generation that has ever lived. In other words, people in your generation that are in church, Church, the millennials, which you are, know less about the Bible, church students, than anybody else that, that has ever come before you. Yet we have more Bibles printed than ever before. 
So why is that? What is the reason for that? Well, I think it's because for many of us, we get frustrated when we read the Bible. And for some of us say, man, I read the Bible and it's boring. And some of us say the Bible is boring and you've never read it, so you have no clue whether it's boring or if it's not. And so I have been showing you some of the stories of the Bible and unfolding this picture of the Old Testament. And we've been walking straight through the Old Testament. Because here's the deal. You cannot understand the New Testament and fully understand the purpose and the reason why Jesus had to come to dial the cross to save us for our sins so that we could be restored to God unless you understand the context of the Old Testament. So this summer, we are walking straight through the Old Testament. Last week, we went through about 12 chapters of the Bible. The week before, we went about through 12 chapters of the Bible. And so over the next 25 minutes or so, I want to walk you through all the way through the story of Moses. And then we're going to have about a five-minute break for you to go out in the hallway, get a couple slices of pizza come back in and we're going to watch the Bible series movie on uh, which is about 40 minutes which we did last week as well on Abraham. So that's kind of where we're at. So y'all ready to get started? Yes. Now at all your seats you have a uh, you have a little note guide so you can kind of walk through this. Now listen, here's the situation. I want to give you a little short, a short background of where we've been. Um, last week I gave you a more detailed. If you have missed week one and week two, that is fine. You can go to iTunes or you can go to our website, our church website, and you can listen to the podcast for those weeks and catch up if you're interested in doing that. So let me give you a quick story. We start back in Genesis chapter 1. God creates the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God, before there was anything else, before there was trees, people, anything else, there was God. God was complete in himself. He was complete in his glory. God did not need us. God was not bored. God was not any of those things. But God chose to pour out his love, to show his love to his creation. And so God created. God uh, created in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. On the sixth day, God created man. Genesis chapter 2 gives us the story, the detailed story of the creation of man. Genesis chapter 3 tells us of the fall of man. God put him in the garden, said you can eat from any of these trees you want to eat from. Don't eat from this tree in the center of the garden. They ate from that tree and sin entered the world. There were three consequences for sin. One of those consequences was given to the serpent. One of those consequences was given to the woman that she would have pain through childbearing. And one of those consequences was given to man that he would have to work the ground in order to, to, uh, in order to, to receive its fruits. And so then this begins... The moment when sin entered the world. From that point on, sin had tainted the world. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were separated from the tree of, of life, which would re have restored them back to God. And so now all of a sudden, from that point on, sin has entered the world and has tainted everything that we've been in. Death entered the world at that time, not just physical death, but also spiritual death. So not only do we physically die, but we also spiritually die. And we need to be spiritually reborn. That is the reason when you hear a Christian say, I've been born again, it is not that they went back into their mother's womb and were born again. It is that they have, they have been born physically from a woman, but they have also been born spiritually through Jesus. They have been born again. That's what that means. And so what happens is we see throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, the population growing and we see that they're wicked before God. And so Genesis chapter 6 through 8 tells the story of Noah and how God sent a flood on the earth and saved Noah and his family. And then Noah's descendants begin to disperse until God comes to, uh, as the population grows, God comes to this man Abraham. And God gives Abraham a promise. He tells Abraham that he's going to have a son, that he can look up at the stars of the sky and he would have descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the seashore. The problem is Abraham did not have, Abraham's wife could not have children. 
And we talked about last week, we walked through the story of Abraham and how, how, uh, how Abraham took uh, um, uh, Hagar, who was, who was uh, Sarah, his wife's um, uh, servant, had a child with her called Ishmael. And Ishmael is actually, we know the descendants of Ishmael are, are, um, are people from the Arab world. And there's been a conflict between them and the descendants of his other son, Isaac, which made up the, the, the Israelite world, which, which took off in that direction. And that is the reason even today there is not peace in the Middle East. And there never will be peace in the Middle East. And there is no president on any country, on any planet, anywhere that can have peace in the Middle East. And the reason is because there is holy land that they are fighting on over there. And if the Jews and the, and the Israelites are not in control of Jerusalem, that is a problem to them. And then if the, if the, if the Muslim nation is not in, in, over Jerusalem, then that's a problem to them. So there's always going to be battling going on because that's the case. If you understand the Bible, you understand that what's going on there cannot be measured and cannot be solved through diplomacy. It is just the truth. It is the fact. It is what it is. And this will be tension for the rest of the of all of history, and the Bible tells us that. It will culminate all the way back at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. We know this. This is what the Bible tells us. So anyways, that spreads out from there. Now, Abraham has his son Isaac. God promises that through his son Isaac, he is going to make a great nation out of Isaac. This would be the nation of Israel that eventually is, is where the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, would come through the line of, through the descendants of, and through that would bring salvation to the world. So, I'm going to bridge the gap right now from Genesis chapter 24, where we left off last week, all the way to Exodus chapter 1. That is 24. Five chapters in Genesis, and I'm going to attempt to do that in about five minutes, and then we're going to jump into Moses. So y'all ready? Strap your boots on, because we're about to get a little dirty. Here we go. I'm such a redneck. <laughs> so Genesis chapter, if you got little notes there, you can follow on. But Genesis chapter 24, uh, 24 through 50. Let me give you a little, little deal of what's going on. So, so now we have Isaac, and Isaac is on the scene. Isaac is the son of Abraham. Now Isaac goes out. And he finds his wife, and his wife is named Rebecca. The interesting thing about Rebecca is, and what we see about a lot of the old church fathers, um, uh, early, early church fathers, early patriarchs of the Old Testament, is that we see that a lot of their, their women had nose rings and piercings and all that kind of stuff. So if you ever have anybody say, oh, that's not the Christian thing to do to have piercings in your nose. Well, let me tell you something. Most of the people in the Old Testament have piercings all over their face. So you need to get over it, bro, and read your Bible and stop being religious and legalistic. Preach it, brother. Come on. And maybe you need to go put a ring in your face and be more godly. Anyways, moving on. And so Rebecca had a nose ring, of course. Well, so Rebecca and Isaac get married, and, and uh, Rebecca and, and Rebecca and Isaac get married, and they begin to grow in their relationship, and Rebecca becomes pregnant. Before the twins are born, God comes to Rebecca and tells her the older will serve the younger. And so of course, when the twins, they're twins that are within her, the when the twins are born, um, the first one that comes out, and it tells us they were struggling on the way out, the first one that comes out is Esau. Now Esau comes out, and he is super hairy, and he's got red hair. And so they named him Esau because the word Esau means hairy. So, um, I mean, it's kind of gross, but I mean, they say he's hairy. I mean, like, like he's a baby with back hair. That's what I picture. You know, he's just covered in like red hair. That's who he is. And so, so you have Esau, and then Jacob comes out. Now, here's the deal. Esau is a man's man. Esau was sort of Isaac's favorite. Jacob was a little mama's boy, and Jacob was kind of Rebecca's favorite. 
So what happens is, is that throughout their life, Jacob kind of hangs out around the house and in the kitchen, and Esau kind of hangs out out in the fields, and he's doing all the hard work out in the fields. One day, Esau comes home, and he is famished. He's tired. He's been working out in the fields. He's been taking care of things. And when he comes in, uh, Esau says to Jacob, he says, make me something to eat, for I am famished. I am about to die. To which Jacob responds back to him and says, well, I'll tell you what, you sell me your birthright, and I'll make you something to eat. Now, the birthright was important, and this is why it was important. Let's say you had 10 sons, or let's say you had 20 kids, and 10 of those were boys. The firstborn son would get half of your entire inheritance and would get the primary blessing from your family. Everyone else, the other 19, would split up the other half. He would be the one that would be carry on the family name. He would be the one who would be marked at the top of every genealogy. He would be the one that would take priority and precedence over everything. So it was a big deal to have the birthright, and Esau had that because he was born first. And so Esau said, what good is my birthright if I, if I die? Of course I'll give it to you if you make me something to eat. So Jacob cooked him up something to eat, gave it to him, and he sells his birthright over to Jacob. Now Isaac is towards the end of his life. Isaac is... is, is blind at this point because he's old and he's in bed and he knows that he's about to die and so Isaac calls Esau in and Isaac says it is time for me to give you my blessing before I die go out go hunting go and kill an animal prepare it for me bring it to me to eat and I will bless you so Esau leaves and goes out to go hunting for this animal Rebecca overhears the conversation she goes to Jacob and she says Jacob go bring me two of the goats Let's prepare them, and you're going to go in and pretend like you're Esau. Since Isaac is blind and he can't see, he will then give you the blessing instead of Esau. And once he's given you the blessing, you will have the blessing. A little trickery going on here. Now, Jacob, being the smart guy he is, he says, listen, Esau is like Sasquatch. When I go in there, and he touches my arm, and he sees that I'm like a mama's boy, and I don't have any hair on my arms, he's going to freak out, right? <clears throat> so what he does is, is that, that Rebecca says, I got an idea. Why don't we take some goat's fur, we'll put it all over your arms and hands and on your neck, so that when he reaches up to touch you, he will feel. So when he walks in, he begins, to, he walks into the room and, and with the meal, and, and Isaac said, who is that? And he says, this, this is Esau. And he says, this, that doesn't sound like Esau, it sounds like Jacob's voice. So he walks over and he says, let me feel your arm. And he feels his arm and he feels him. And he says, oh, well, you're hairy, so you must be Esau. And he's confused by it, but he eats the meal, and then he pulls him close. Well, Jacob had put on Esau's clothes, and he smelled like Esau. So Isaac was convinced that Jacob was actually Esau, so Isaac blessed Jacob. And gave him all this blessing. Pass on the blessing that Abraham had given Isaac. And he passed it on to Jacob. Then Esau comes in. Hey dad. I got your meal. I'm ready for this blessing. Isaac said who is that? This is Esau. Your firstborn. He says I've already given the blessing away to your brother Jacob. I guess he tricked me. Esau is ticked off. Is there anything you can do? Can you bless me? I'm sorry. I've already given my blessing. So Esau says that's fine. I'll kill Jacob. So Jacob flees. Yeah man that's what I'm saying. You know, like I just punched my brother in the face. These mugs are hardcore, you know. It's like I'm going to slit his throat. Anyways, and so he's like, that's fine. I'm just going to take uh, that little mama's boy out. Well, Rebecca overhears the conversation. She goes and tells Jacob, you need to flee and go over here to, uh, to, uh, to my brother's house, Laban. So Jacob flees and he goes to Laban's house. Laban has two daughters. One daughter's named Leah. One daughter's named Rachel. 
Rachel, uh, Rachel happens to be the beautiful of the two daughters and the younger of the two daughters. So Jacob says to Laban, can I work for seven years so that I can have Rachel's hand in marriage? Laban says, yep, yeah, absolutely. Jacob works for seven years to get Rachel's hand in marriage. You'll have to go and read the whole story because there's a lot of little nuances in there. And what happens is, is that, that Laban tricks him and says, nope, you're going to have to marry Leah. My oldest daughter, because the oldest daughter has to be married first. And Jacob's like, hold on, we had a deal. And he says, well, you can work seven more years for Rachel. So he says, okay, deal. So he works for 14 years. Now he's married to both of them. I can't imagine having two wives. That's got to be bad. And uh, <clears throat> one's enough. And so these polygamy USA shows I see on TV, like sister wives. And I'm like, what are these people thinking, man? Anyways, <clears throat> so... So he's married to these two women now, and, the, and, they begin, and Leah begins to have children. Rachel, for whatever reason, cannot have children. So Leah begins to have all these children, and, and Jacob ends up having 12 sons. These 12 sons, well, let me get there in a second. Jacob ends up having 12 sons. His 11th son is named Joseph. Joseph was born from Rachel. God saw favor on Rachel. She, she bore him a son, and because she bore him a son, Joseph was was Jacob's favorite son. So, jo- so Joseph gave Joseph a, a coat, this really ornate coat. He didn't give that to any of the other brothers. So all the other brothers were really jealous of Joseph. Now Joseph was the youngest at the time, and so this is what Joseph did. Joseph had this dream that his mom and dad and all of his brothers were bowing down before them. Now listen, if you ever have a dream like that, the best idea is probably not to go to your 11 older brothers and tell them that you had a dream that they were bowing down before you. But Joseph is not as smart as you are, and so Joseph goes over and he tells these guys this, and they get pretty upset about it, and so does his parents. So they're fed up with Joseph, so they decide, the other brothers decide, we're going to kill Joseph. I'm telling you, man, that's good justice right there. So they take jo- so while they're out in the fields working, they take Joseph, they throw him down in a pit. When they're deciding what to do, a couple of the brothers try to defend Joseph. So they say, all right, here's the deal. We'll sell him into slavery. We'll make up a story that he got killed by wild beasts. So they sell Joseph into slavery, and Joseph is taken to Egypt. They come back, and they tell Jacob, your son Joseph has died. He's been torn apart by wild beasts. Here's his coat. Jacob's beside himself. He's tore up. He's upset about it. Now, this is important. God comes to Jacob. And God blesses Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God. This is another big story in there. I don't have time to go through the whole thing. Jacob wrestles with God, and God changes Jacob's name. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob has 12 sons, and his 12 sons, their descendants, make up the 12 tribes of Israel. These 12 tribes are all throughout the entire Old Testament. These are what would inhabit the promised land in the future. In fact, if you go all the way to the book of Revelation at the end of times, when you're talking about, you know, when, when, when the world is, you know, ending, Jesus comes back and there's a time of tribulation at the end and all that stuff and we're going through all that kind of stuff and he says that I have set apart a remnant, 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel that I will save during this time frame. This is the same people, all right? 12 tribes, these 12 tribes of Israel. Now here's the deal. These brothers thought they would never come in contact with Joseph again. So Joseph is over in Egypt. He's hanging out in Egypt. He is a slave in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. Now Joseph, because God had his favor on Joseph and because Joseph was a pretty good dude, he began to rise up in power in Pharaoh's house. Everything that he did, God blessed. And so Pharaoh eventually put him in a pretty high position to oversee everything in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh was the king of the world. He was the most powerful man in the world at this time. 
And so Joseph is overseeing this stuff in his house. Well, Joseph had power, and the Bible tells us that Joseph was a pretty good-looking dude. So one day, Joseph is hanging out, and Pharaoh's wife comes over and starts hitting on Joseph. Joseph's like, dude, I don't want any of that junk right now. And so Joseph goes to run away because that's what you should do, man. When a woman's hitting, you know, you don't think, I got to get out of here. And so Joseph's doing the right thing, goes to run away. As he goes to run away, she grabs his cloak, his coat, and she pulls it off of him, his robe. So he keeps all he runs away naked. She now has his robe. She then goes and tells Pharaoh, Joseph tried to come on to me and he left his robe in the room. So Pharaoh got mad and he threw, he threw Joseph into prison. Joseph then spends the next good chunk of his life in prison. Now while he's in prison, there are two other guys that are thrown in prison. One guy's a cupbearer, one guy's a baker. Both worked for Pharaoh and they did some stuff and got thrown in prison as well. They both had dreams and Jacob interpreted, I'm sorry, Joseph interpreted those dreams for them. They were both taken out of prison. The baker was killed. The cupbearer was restored to his position but forgot about Joseph interpreting the dream and forgot to give Pharaoh a good word about Joseph. So Joseph sits in prison for several years. Then Pharaoh has a dream. Now this dream is that, that seven cows were coming up out of the Nile River and they were fat cows. And then seven more cows came out and they were famished skinny cows. And he was troubled by this dream and he couldn't find anyone to tell him what the dream meant. The cupbearer overheard Pharaoh talking about it and said, hey, when I was in prison several years ago, there was a guy named Joseph down there, and he interpreted my dream. Maybe you should ask him. So he pulls Joseph out. Joseph tells him, listen, seven years, there's going to be all this harvest, all this food, but then there's going to be a massive famine that is going to come over all the land, and everyone is going to come to Egypt to get our food if we store it up. Pharaoh believed Joseph's dream, and so they begin to store up all this food. And sure enough, seven years later, the famine comes, and everyone is out of food. So everyone has to travel to Egypt in order to get food. Now, let me give you a little, a little um, so you can understand this, and this will help you with Moses as well. This right here is the Mediterranean Sea. This right here is the Nile Delta, and that's the Nile River. This is Egypt. Egypt does not start with an S. I assure you, last time I checked, this is Egypt right here, all right? Now, there's a land, the land of Canaan, which actually, if you come up here now, uh, today, this is Israel right here. You got, the, you got the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea. This is the, you got the area of Canaan up here. This is the promised land that God promised. Now, you've got Egypt down here. Now, up here is where Joseph's family's living. This is, this is where Joseph has been taken into slavery. Now what happens is this, the famine hits the land, it hits all the land. Now they have no food, and the only place that has food is who? Egypt. So they, have to, so they decide, Jacob decides to send his, his boys to Egypt to get food. Now Pharaoh has placed Joseph over his entire kingdom at this point. So when they come to Egypt, who do they have to get food from? Joseph. So Joseph, they come to Egypt to get food, and they bow down before Joseph, the vision that God had given Joseph. Joseph didn't tell him who he was, and it goes through the whole story, and you have to read it all. I'm not going to go into all the details. Long story short, Joseph ends up embracing them, telling them who he is. He does some other things in the mix there, probably like a couple chapters. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And then what he does is, is that he, he goes, and he, Jacob comes to him. Jacob hugs him. They have this big thing. And then Joseph says, listen, why don't you bring all the family to Egypt? So their entire family, the Israelite nation, under 
Isaac and Jacob, the Israelite nation, they come to Egypt to live. Now they move to Egypt and they live in this area right here called Goshen. They live right here. Now this is what happens. Joseph dies, Jacob dies, generations pass, and a new Pharaoh comes into power several generations later. This new Pharaoh sees the population of Israel growing like crazy. He sees them taking over land and all this kind of stuff, and he is afraid that the Israelites are going to revolt against him and that they would overtake him. So Pharaoh, what he decides to do is he decides to enslave the people of Israel. So he puts them into slavery. Now, not only does he put them into slavery, but he also says that I'm going to kill all the baby boys that are born to the women. So the Egyptian midwives would be there at the pregnancy, and when the mom would have the baby, they would take the baby to the Nile River and throw the baby into the Nile River to drown it so it would die. It's pretty gross. It's horrible. Now we get to Exodus chapter 1. We just went through 25 chapters of the Bible, and when you get to Exodus chapter 1, this is where we see this taking place. So when you get to Exodus chapter 1, you see the story of, you see the story of Pharaoh putting this punishment on the Israelites. Now, the Israelites are enslaved for about 400 years. And Moses comes on the scene. In Exodus chapter 2, we see the birth of Moses. Now, the birth of Moses is kind of this interesting story. Moses is born. And after he is born, uh, uh, they, they hide him for a while. And when he's about three months old, they, can't, they feel like they can't hide him any longer. So they put him in a basket. They put him into the Nile River. He floats down the Nile River. His sister follows along. Uh, falls alongside the river and watches him, and then he and then and then uh, he he actually floats up on Pharaoh's daughter bathing in the river. Now she sees the infant and recognizes that this is one of the Hebrew babies, and she is felt she is filled with compassion for it, so she takes the baby in. Now the cool thing about it is, is that because the sister's father, she says, "Hey, you want me to go get one of the Hebrew wives or one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby?" So, and she says, "Yeah, great." So he takes her back to her mother. So the mother kind of got to raise Moses up a little bit, and then she goes and lives. He goes and lives with Pharaoh's daughter. Now, one day, Moses is grown up. Now, one day, Moses is out. And he's seeing the people of Israel, the people that he is, he is a part of. He sees them being, being persecuted. And he sees this one guy getting beat up pretty bad. And so Moses goes over and Moses kills the Egyptian slave driver who is beating up this guy. And he buries him in the sand. He didn't think anyone saw it happen, so he thought he was away scot-free. The next day, he is walking through, and two other Israelites are fighting each other. And he says to the Israelites, he says, Hey, guys, what are you doing? Why are you fighting each other? You shouldn't be fighting each other. You are brothers. And, he, and they respond back to him, What, are you going to kill us too? And then he realizes that, oh, there are people that know about this. So, what does Moses do? <laughs> I'm an awful drawer. This is the Red Sea. There's another little, I don't, I don't have time to talk about that. And there's this land called Midian over here. Moses goes over, Moses goes over to Midian. And he goes and he hides out in Midian. 
He hides out in Midian for a while. He gets married and all this kind of stuff and all this stuff's going on. Well, the people of Israel are still enslaved and they keep crying out to God and God hears their prayers. And you get to Exodus chapter 3. God reveals himself to Moses. Moses is walking along one day and he sees this bush burning. And the bush is not being burned up. And Moses is like, man, that's kind of weird. So Moses walks over to the bush and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and the bush speaks to him. It is God speaking through this burning bush and he tells him, hold on, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. He takes off his sandals. There begins this dialogue with, with God. And God basically tells Moses, you are going to help lead my people out of Egypt. Which is why the second book of the Bible is called Exodus and the story of Moses is called the Exodus. The Exodus, the exit. The word Exodus means to go out. They are going out of Egypt. That is the story of the book of Exodus. And so what happens is, is that, that, uh, that, that Moses says, man, I can't do that. One, I can't lead people. I can't speak. I'm not a good communicator. I can't do this. I can't do that. And, and so God says, listen, I will, I will raise up your brother Aaron to be your mouthpiece for you. He will speak for you. He will be your prophet that will speak for you. And you just tell him what to say from me. I'll speak to you. You tell Aaron. Aaron will speak to the people. And he says, well, what if they don't believe me? Give me a sign. And God says, okay, throw your staff down. He's got a staff in his hand. He says, okay. And he throws the staff down. And the staff turns into a snake. And so he freaks out. He runs away. And God says, come back. Pick it up by the tail. And he comes back and he grabs it by the tail and it turns back into a staff. He says, if they don't believe you, show them that sign. He says, what if they still don't believe me? He says, take your hand and put it in your cloak. He puts his hand in his cloak. He says, pull it out. He pulls it out, and it's leprous. It's white like snow, covered in leprosy. He says, put it back in your coat. He puts it back in his coat. He pulls it back out, and it's completely gone. He says, if they still won't believe you, take some water from the Nile River, go over and pour it out in front of them, and it'll turn to blood on the ground right in front of them. So Moses and Aaron now have this, and then he asks him, he says, he says, who is this that's talking to me? I am who I am, the name of God, the great I am. And so Moses goes back to the people of Israel and Aaron. They go back to the people of Israel and some of the elders of Israel. They tell them what's happened. He shows them the signs. They bow down and they worship God. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say, you're going to let these people go. Let our people go. Let our people go worship the Lord. Let our people leave this land. And Pharaoh got pretty mad about it. And Pharaoh said, I'll tell you what, we're going to make them work even harder. So Pharaoh put more strict punishment on them. And so because Pharaoh did that, um, God tells Moses, all right, dude, it's time to turn it up a notch. So, so they begin to pour out ten plagues. And we see the plagues being poured out from Exodus chapter 5 through Exodus chapter 11. And I'll tell you what the plagues are. The first plague is the plague of blood. So Pharaoh is by the Nile River, hanging out by the Nile River. Moses walks up. He tells Pharaoh, and he, t- he w- waves his staff over the Nile River, and boom, the, the Nile River turns to blood. All the fish in the Nile River die. It says that it stunk. It was all this kind of stuff. That was the first plague. Pharaoh says, man, can you make this stop, make this stop? So Pharaoh did it, and he made it stop. Then it was the, there was the, the plague of the frogs, where frogs began to come out everywhere and begin to get into everyone's house. There were so many frogs that when the plague went away, they said that after all the frogs died, they were heaping them up in gigantic piles. Then there was the plague of the gnats. And, uh, and when this plague happened, the third plague, Pharaoh had some magicians who were trying to replicate some of the, some of the plagues and some of the things that, that Moses were doing. They said, this, they, this is what his magician says, this is surely from the finger of God. Then the livestock uh, all died in Egypt, but, there was, but none of the Israelite livestock died. 
Then there were boils that came on the bodies of the people. And then there was a hailstorm that killed everything that wasn't under cover, except for it didn't touch the land of Goshen, and then where the Israelites lived. And then there was locusts that ate all the trees and all the plants. And then there was, then there was darkness. That was the, the, the ninth plague. The interesting thing about darkness is, is that you don't see darkness and view darkness in the way that they view darkness. It's because we have electricity. This is a world without electricity. When I was in Haiti earlier this year, um, this is before our missions trip, we went on another trip uh, as a kind of a vision trip, and we were up, we, we, were, we, we stayed down at this resort down at the bottom of this mountain, and we went up on the mountain to, to, to serve with the people during the day. When we would go down to the bottom of the mountain, you would look up at the hill where like 50,000 people lived on this gigantic mountain, and there would not be a single light on that mountain. The people went to bed at like 7 o'clock because when it got dark, you couldn't do anything. In fact, it was kind of cool. We went to this deaf community. And when we went into the deaf community, they had put in these solar panel lights so that it would light up the area because what would happen is, is that when it would turn dark, it is so dark, when it would turn dark that they could not sign language to each other. So they could not communicate. Husband and wife could not communicate to each other. Parents could not communicate from, with their children from the moment it got dark until it got light again. They had no access to light whatsoever. See, darkness is something that is totally different in this world than it is to our world. It was a gigantic, uh, I mean, darkness all the time, 24 hours a day. It, it brought everything in this community to a halt. Then... The final plague. Pharaoh would tell Moses throughout every plague, at the end of every plague, yeah, I'll let your people go. And then as soon as Moses would tell God to stop the plague, Pharaoh would harden his heart. He would change his mind and say, nope, I'm not going to let you go. Then the final plague was that the firstborn of every Egyptian male, animal and, and, um, and human, would die. And so then we get to chapter 12 through 14 of Exodus, and we see the Passover, the Passover story. Maybe you've heard of Passover, the Passover week, or that time in which we celebrate the Passover time of year leading up to Easter. That was celebrated because of this week. And the picture of it is, is that Jesus was the spotless, sinless lamb that was sacrificed as the, as the blood that would cover the people to protect the people, to cover the sins of the people in the, in the Passover. Now, here's the story of the Passover. What God commanded the Israelites to do is to take the, uh, a lamb, and, and every home would take a lamb, a spotless lamb that was one year old. They would sacrifice that lamb, and they would take the blood from that lamb and put it on the doorpost of their home and, and, the, and the cross post. And then that night... God would, the angel, this is called the angel of death, would come along and it would kill every home that did not, the firstborn of every home that that was not over. Now we even know this from history, not just through the Bible, this happened and many, many children in Israel, Egypt died and this was the last straw that finally was what released the Israelites from Pharaoh. Now we see the hand of God all over this because Pharaoh was oppressing God's people. Pharaoh was going against God. Pharaoh was boldly saying that, that he was greater than God. In fact, we know this, that Pharaoh called himself God and made people worship him as God. And so he didn't think that he needed to submit to anyone's authority, let alone God's authority. So Moses and the people of God then get all their stuff together and they begin to head out and they are, they're, they're trucking along and they're, they're heading, out of, uh, heading out of Egypt and, and all of a sudden they come up to the Red Sea. And when they get to the Red Sea, <coughs> when they get to the Red Sea, 
uh, God is leading them by day um, in, a cl- in, a, in a cloud, um, and, then, and then at night, uh, he's leading them by a cloud of fire, and we, uh, and we see that uh, in order to give them light as they travel, and they get to the Red Sea, and they're stopped. Well, God tells Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to come after you. Pharaoh gets all his armies together. He begins to chase after Moses. They get to the Red Sea. Everybody's freaking out. All the people of God are like, Moses, why did you lead us out, out of Egypt, out of slavery, just so that we can die? Everyone's freaking out, and Moses says, Hold on one second. And he walks over and he takes his staff and he holds it over the Red Sea. And the the Bible tells us that the water walls up on both sides and the Israelites walk across on dry land. As they walk across on dry land, they get to the other side. The Egyptian armies are pursuing behind them. they're, They're going through the Red Sea and then he holds his staff back over the water. The waters cross back over and they wipe everyone out. And kill the entire Egyptian army. Some people say, oh, well, well, see, what happened was, is that, like, like, there was a shallow part of the Red Sea that the Israelites walked across. And that's how come they walked across. Like, he really didn't, like, wall the water up like it was a shallow part of the Red Sea. Now, we know exactly where they crossed over the Red Sea. It is nowhere close to shallow. And is it a bigger miracle that, that, that they walked across on shallow water or that God drowned everybody in shallow water? See, See, because the reality is that the Israelites walked across the water and then God drowned the entire, and the, and the entire Egyptian army drowned in a foot of water, then that makes no sense either, right? And so we know, we believe the story of the Bible, we believe it to be true because there's a supernatural God and the supernatural God can do supernatural things that are not of the natural because we believe in God. And so that's what happened. And so the Israelite army is wiped out. Now all of a sudden, now they're wandering around in this new place, this desert. They don't really know what to do. They don't really know where to go. And, uh, and so the people start complaining. They say, man, we don't have any food to eat. Did we come out here so we can starve to death? And God said, hey, man, I got that. And so God began to rain down bread from heaven. They called it manna. And he told them, get as much bread as you can in the morning. And then he gives them quail in the afternoon. And they would get as much quail in the afternoon to eat for that day. But on every sixth day, you're to gather enough food so for two days. Because on the seventh day, you're not supposed to work. On the Sabbath, you're to have a Sabbath and you'll already have that food available. Then they start complaining, man, we don't have any water. And the guy says, hey, no problem. Moses, hit that rock with your staff. He hits the rock with the staff, water comes out. Etc., etc. People keep complaining. People keep complaining. Then God tells Moses to go up on this mountain, Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain and God gives Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. We see this in Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are given to Moses. Then you go through the rest of the book of Exodus. God is giving Moses laws and all the stuff in order to govern the people. That is why the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are called the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Penta for five, the first five books. They are the law of God. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And these, this is the story of how God interacts with his people and how God governs his people through the law. They lived under what was called a theocracy. We live under democracy, um, uh, and, and they live under a theocracy where God governed everything. And God governed it through the law, through the Ten Commandments, through the, the laws of Leviticus, through the laws that are given all throughout the, the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament is the laws that God had given Moses in a nutshell, numbers is they had to number all the people, so it is called numbers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That gets you through the first five books of the Old Testament. Next week, we're going to pick up with the sixth book, Joshua, as the people of God get into the promised land, and we're going to talk and bridge that gap, uh, that gap then. So, that's a lot, right? But that's good stuff. So, 
We're teaching the Old Testament. Now, let me just give you a little piece of this so you don't have to, you don't have to pick this up next week. What happens is, is that, is that the people become disobedient. They send spies into the promised land to check this thing out. They come back. They're all freaking out. They send 12 of them, one from the 12 tribes. They say, send 12 of them out. Two of them come back and say, dude, let's go. God's got our back. Ten of them say there's giants in the land. They're freaking out. We can't go in there. Moses decides to go with the ten and not with the two, even though God's already told him that he was going to give them the land. So God punishes the people of Israel and tells them that no one in that generation will be able to go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb, the two people who said that, who said that we, we can take the land. So what happens? What happens is that they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Those generations pass away, Moses passes away, and Moses never gets to see the promised land. And then Moses passes off to Joshua, the new leader of the Israelites. They are just on the other side of the Jordan River when Moses passes away. And Joshua, in the book of Joshua, which we're going to hit next week, leads them across the Jordan River and into the promised land. And... Uh, next week we'll talk about this, but when they cross the Jordan River, that is when they set up 12 stones, one stone for every one of the 12 tribes of Israel, so that every time someone would see that stone, they would remember God, which is where we get the name 12 Stone Church. <laughs>